Hello and happy end of May. Uh, I am excited to be here. I am grateful that you are here. I just finished recording this whole thing and realized that my microphone was not on. So, I, I, you know, as I was going through it, I was like, oh, I'm saying some smart stuff. I'm feeling really feeling it this month. Like, I feel like I'm making good connections. You want to bet any of those come back out this time around? Uh, we'll see. <laughs> we can only hope. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Um, I'm really excited about this series. This is our um, Hamlet audition monologue series. So last month we went through kind of the younger set of characters in the play and what you might be able to use for an audition for those. This month we are looking at the olds. <laughs> We're looking at the older characters in Hamlet. So you're Gertrude and Claudius and um, uh, see, this is what I mean. This is the, what am I doing here? You're Gertrude, you're Claudius, you're Polonius, you're Ghost, your first player, all of those things. So let's take it through uh, <laughs> without further uh, rambling on my part and take a look back at how we Categorize the characters last month. We've got this older emotional set. So um, the ones who really go on roller coaster rides of characterization throughout the play, the younger emotional set, we've got the level headed characters, uh, the ones that really keep us grounded. And then the comedy, the comedic effect, the um, comedic relief, I mean. So these four kind of divisions, we're looking at um, age last month and this month, and then next month, and then after that, we'll be looking at more of an emotional or uh, character temperature division. So in June, we will take a look at some of the more like emotionally charged characters and then um, in terms of, of serious and comedy, and then uh, we will go from there in July. We'll see what we have left. So again, last month to recap, we took a look at um, a speech from Timon of Athens for Hamlet. We looked at this measure for measure speech from Claudio for Hamlet, uh, which I'll talk about again in a second. Uh, Horatio Benvolio from Romeo and Juliet. Uh, and then Ophelia Laertes combo. We looked at Cordelia from Lear. So that is what we looked at last month. Now this month we are going to start with our, our older characters. So for these, I was really focusing a lot more on the element of poetry that's so present in Hamlet, the, the way that the words hang on your tongue and the way that all of these characters revel in the words that they're saying. And I think that's something that's, it's one of the reasons that Hamlet has persisted for so long as one of the best. It's because the characters know they're speaking poetry. It's like, it's not part of their characterization, but as an actor, you really have to be able to treat these words respectfully and um properly and then do what you want with the character make it fun and interesting and exciting but like there's so much power in the poetry of hamlet specifically that that was one of the things that i was trying to capture in the audition monologues for this month so we're going to start with claudius and again looking at measure for measure for this i'm not sure why measure for measure has such a, a close parallel with hamlet but it does we took a look last month, like I said, at that um, Claudio monologue. We've got Hamlet has his to be or not to be, what happens when we die. That's the only reason that I haven't committed to it yet. 
And then we've got this Claudio monologue that has to die and go not where. It's the same idea. What waits for us beyond death? That's the scary part. It's not dying that's scary. It's what happens next because we don't know. All of those ideas and themes are mimicked in this Claudio piece from Hamlet. Now we've got the same parallel for Claudio and Angelo from Measure for Measure. So this is a speech from Act Two, Scene Four, and it really piggybacks off of Claudio's um, "My thoughts fly, my my words fly up, my thoughts remain below" when he's trying to pray and just can't. So this is uh, reflective of that speech. So if you're going for someone like Claudius, you want to. I'm trying to uh, mitigate the amount of times I say Claudio versus Claudius. Um, but if you're going for Claudius and Hamlet, you might want to take a look at this speech. When I would pray and think, I think and pray to several subjects. Heaven hath my empty words, whilst my invention, hearing not my tongue, anchors on Isabel. Heaven in my mouth, as if I did but only chew his name. And in my heart, the strong and swelling evil of my conception. The state whereon I studied is like a good thing, being often read grown feared and tedious, yea, my gravity, wherein let no man hear me, I take pride. Could I with boot change for an idle plume where their air beats for vain? O place, O form, how often dost thou with thy case, thy habit, wrench off from fools and tie the wiser souls to thy false seeming? Blood, thou art blood. Let's write good angel on the devil's horn, tis not the devil's crest. Mm, it's such a good villain monologue. It just like makes you feel a little icky. Um, but the again, the words are so good. They're so powerful and they're so um, conflicted. And that's the thing with Claudius, right? Is that he's like, I, I don't even know. Like I'm enjoying being married to Gertrude. I'm enjoying being king. I don't know if I'm really sorry for killing my brother. Like. I'm, I'm like, I'm saying I'm regretting this. I'm saying I, I feel um, that this, uh, that I know this was a sin, but if I don't mean it, like, what's the point of saying it? And that's very much what Angelo is saying here as well. So he knows that he should not be lusting after Isabella, but he's not sorry he's doing it. And that's what makes him such a gross villain. Um, and so reflective of Claudius as well, because I think that's the same, uh, same mirrored thoughts and feelings there. Sorry for whatever is happening outside my window right now. If you can hear of that banging, um, I apologize. Driving me bananas. Uh, don't you know I'm podcasting? <laughs> Here they go. All right. So next we have Gertrude, and this is kind of a weird pull because it's Oberon from A Midsummer Night's Dream, and I don't think that we would naturally make that connection, but this I took from Gertrude's, her one long speech, um, there's a Willow Scantabrook, Ophelia's drowning scene. Um, while she has a different purpose for the monologue than this does. I think that there is a lot of similarity to just the, the language in this speech. So the description, 
Gertrude's speech is, is really centered on description and the flowers and the imagery of this place. The death is almost second, the death, the death is secondary to the beauty of what she's describing, which is what makes it such an interesting speech to uh, think about characterization wise, because how do you treat that? But it's another conversation for another day. Um, so we have from Oberon this speech where, again, intent is very, very different. The, the actual purpose of the speech is, is for something quite nefarious. Um, but who's to say that what Gertrude has done isn't in a similar vein? Really, I just took it for the poetry and the language parallels. So Oberon says, I know a bank where the wild thyme blows, where oxlips and the nodding violet grows, quite or canopied with luscious woodbine, with sweet musk roses and with eglantine. There sleeps Titania, some time of the night, lulled in these flowers with dances and delight. And there the snake throws her enameled skin, weed wide enough to wrap a fairy in. And with the juice of this, I'll streak her eyes and make her full of hateful fantasies. So again, different characterization, but really similar in language and words. So I think you could get away with a piece like this to really show the command and control that you have over these descriptions, over this imagery. Speaking of imagery, uh, this is kind of a general audition piece that you could use for Hamlet, a, pay, a play that's so full, 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 full of poetry and beautiful language, but especially for the first player. I think that the first player is one of the more underrated roles, probably in the canon, because for a play that is so scattered in focus, everyone's listening to someone different. Nobody's really listening to anyone else especially Hamlet. Hamlet is all over the place. He can't listen to his friends. He can't listen to his mom. He doesn't even really listen to his dad, um, his ghost dad. But when the first player starts to speak about Hecuba, that's it. Hamlet is laser focused. There's nothing that can break him from that speech. And he's so moved. So I wanted to find something that had power and control and command it just needs you to stop and listen and this sceptered isle that speech is, is is quite done but i'm not sure it's ever done in, in this type of context so from richard the second act two scene one methinks i am a prophet new inspired and thus expiring do you foretell of him his rash fierce blaze of riot cannot last for violent fires soon burn out themselves. Small showers last long, but sudden storms are short. He tires betimes that spurs too fast betimes. With eager feeding food doth choke the feeder. Light vanity, insatiate cormorant, consuming mean soon preys upon itself. This royal throne of kings, this sceptered isle, this earth of majesty, this seat of Mars, this other Eden demi-paradise, this fortress built by nature for herself against infection and the hand of war, this land of such dear souls, this dear, dear land, dear for her reputation through the world is now leased out. I die pronouncing it like to a tenement or pelting farm, England bound in with the triumphant sea whose rocky shore beats back the envious siege of watery Neptune is now bound in with shame, with inky blots and rotten parchment bonds. That England that was wont to conquer others hath made a shameful conquest of itself. Ah, would the scandal vanish with my life? How happy then were my ensuing death? 
one thing I love about this speech is that it really makes you chill out. It really makes you, it forces patience from the speaker. And I think it also forces patience from the audience too, to really be drawn in and let themselves, let themselves listen to these words. And, and that's something that the first player specifically needs, but every character in the show needs to be listened to by the audience, if not from each other. Um, so I think that using this as a piece of power and just as a piece to prove that you have command over this language that is so difficult and so beautiful, I think it's a really good choice. Um, I think it's, it's hard to bring that calm command, but if that's what you're going for, if you're going for one of the, um, one of the adults in this play, one of the uh, older generation, I guess, you really do need to have this uh, behind your belt, I guess, or as your foundation. So I think this is a really great speech and I think it would be really effective. Um, last, but certainly, certainly not least, uh, we've got Daddy Polonius up in here. So Polonius is such a funny character because he's full of advice. He's full of rambles. Uh, he's probably well-intentioned, but like also he throws his daughter into the middle of like a royal manipulation thing. So not great. Um, he spies on his son. Not great. Uh, but this, this character is, I think really unique in Shakespeare because we get a lot of fools, um, but we don't necessarily get a lot of higher class fools, if that makes sense. So Polonius is, is trusted. He's an advisor. He's the Jafar of, Hamlet <laughs> um except he's more like the sultan and Jafar is Claudius so switch him um but yeah he's bumbling he's he's funny he's meant to be laughed at he is a clown but he has so much power over the other characters that it's hard to um find something that he's not he's not trying to be a clown he's not trying to make wit so um it can be hard to find something, but I have the perfect piece for him because luckily we have a character that very much mimics Polonius, um, although way better in All's Well That Ends Well. And this is the Countess. So the Countess is Bertram's mother, um, but also uh, Helena's adopted guardian, I guess. Um, and I just imagine the Countess played by Dame Maggie Smith. Uh, just if you've seen the Dowager Countess in Downton Abbey or anything like that, she just has this biting sophistication. Um, so I think that the intent of this is maybe not as bumbling as Polonius can be, but it also, it, it has that like, um, to thine own self be true by, because she's giving advice to her son who's going away. She addresses her daughter. She addresses her son. It's very reminiscent of Polonius in that scene where he's giving all of this advice. So it is a perfect, perfect piece if you are going straight for Polonius. Um, in one one, she says, no more of this, Helena. Go to, no more, lest it be rather thought you affect a sorrow than habit. If the living be enemy to the grief, the excess makes it soon mortal. Be thou blessed, Bertram, and succeed thy father in manners as in shape. Thy blood and virtue contend for empire in thee and thy goodness share it with thy birthright. Love all, trust a few, do wrong to none. 
Be able for thine enemy rather in power than use and keep thy friend under thy own life's key. Be checked for silence, but never taxed for speech. What heaven more will that thee may furnish and my prayers plucked down fall on thy head. Farewell, my lord. It is an unseasoned courtier. Good, my lord. Advise him. So kind of different. Uh, there's some redirect of attention in this speech, which I think, woo, which I think would be really interesting in an audition room to be able to kind of have those several points of focus. Obviously, this love all, trust a few, drunk to none. Be able for thine enemy rather in power than use. Keep thy friend under thine own life's key. Be checked for silence, but never taxed for speech. It really, it's just like ripped straight from Polonius's book. It is the the spitting mimic of his speech. Um, so it's perfect. That's it. That's all I have to say about it. Nothing too astute, just that it's perfect for an audition for Polonius. So, all right. Um, those are our four monologues for this month. If you are uh, auditioning for one of the older generation in Hamlet, those would be some good pieces to look at. That's that. Uh, tune in next month where we do a little bit more auditioning for Hamlet. Uh, we're really ramping up down here, getting getting everything prepped, but I'm really enjoying this. Uh, I had a lot of fun picking these monologues this month and I just, I think Hamlet's a really cool play. So that's that. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your support. And I will see you next month. This is my pause can't find the button to stop recording <laughs> it's just that like wave forever and ever <laughs>